When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 186, and we are recording on June 18th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot and from the swamp-like humidity. (laughs) June! (laughs) June! I know, it's all thunderstorms and moisture in the air here right now. (laughs) It is here. You know, I went on this whole rant earlier this week to my friend about how, you know, people talk about how climate change is like a rich person's problem or whatever. Mm. But like the rain that we have gotten so consistently for the past six months, I've had to replace my roof and my sump pump and my backyard is flooded and just (gasps) flooded now. So we can talk about how, you know, like environmental issues are snooty. I don't think they are actually. But I'm solidly middle class and I have dropped like seven grand this year. So (laughs) thanks, humidity. (laughs) Thanks, humidity. Oh, Lord. Well, that sounds terrible. I'm coming for you, Exxon. This is why I'm afraid to own a house is roofs. Roofs are the thing that I'm most afraid of. In yeah, life. It's legit. It's, I mean, they replaced them super quickly. It only took like three hours. But Oh, I did not know you could replace I'm learning so much today already. <laughs> it was many dollars. <laughs> Oof. Well, aside from talking about roofs and humidity, we also talk about books on the show. Like we said, it is a personalized reading recommendation show, which means you send in your questions about what you should read next, maybe what your book club should pick up, what you should get for a friend or a relative, what you should read while traveling, any and all of those things. And we will do our best to find you a good option. You can send questions either via email, getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can drop them in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site for every episode. Um, if you have a suggestion for a question, you can email those responses, getbooked at bookriot.com. And we do have one piece of feedback from Carolyn, who says, in response to Whitney's question and my rant, haha, in episode 184, uh, recommending Eat Up by Ruby Tando of Great British Bake Off fame. She doesn't speak specifically about nutrition, but more about having a healthy relationship with good and with with food and selecting the best diet for you. Thank you, Carolyn, for reminding us about this because I remember when this book was coming out, I was so excited and then I lost track of it. I love Ruby and she wrote this amazing essay about working through her eating disorders and, you know, coming back to a healthy relationship with food. So I definitely do want to check that out. I'm rewatching the Ruby season right now. Ugh. It's such a good season. Everyone on it is amazing. Becca. Oh, Becca. She comes back <laughs> in one of the, um, they did like the seasonal shorter mini episodes. Have you ever seen those? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And she's back and it's great. There was, I think she's in the same one as, um, oh, what's his name? Paul. Ghana. No, no. Celesi. Yes. Yeah. Oh, love Celesi. Yes. He's so good. My favorite. He might be my favorite contestant ever. <laughs> He's so zen. <laughs> I'm going to have to think about that. I'm going to have to think about that. He's definitely up there. Okay. Well, no, we'll also talk about books. Like I, I promised that we would, so we will. So Amanda's going to read our first question and tell us about our first sponsor and away we'll go. All right. Our first question is from Caroline who says, I'm traveling to Norway for a few weeks this summer and I'd like to read a novel set in Norway by a, Nor- a Norwegian author. Ideally, it would have a strong sense of place. I'm trying not to read books by cis men, so if you could avoid them, that would be great. I like most genres, but I'm not interested in children's or middle grade books. Why, it might be okay if it's not a romance. Books I've uh, read and loved recently include The Broken Earth Trilogy, Trail of Lightning, Normal People, Mr. Splitfoot, Everything Under, and Made for Love. All right, so before we talk about Norway, we're going to talk about The Guest Book, which is our first sponsor, The Guest Book by Sarah Blake. I have been seeing this everywhere. I'm going to pick it up because it looks, I I like the cover. (laughs) I'm going to read it because I like the cover, the Amanda Nelson story. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the the guest book is a love story and it's a multi-generational family epic, a love story, a novel about past mistakes and betrayals that ripple 
throughout generations. It's a book that examines not just one single privileged American family from 1935 until the present day, but a privileged America. So it was it went on sale May 7th, so you can like go out and get it now. Sarah Blake is the author of The Postmistress, which is a huge, huge bestseller. And this book covers three different generations, lifetimes of secrets. The main character's name is Kitty Milton, so I feel like you already know what you're in for. <laughs> Kitty Milton. Um, and asks us how uh, we remember and what we choose to forget. Tells the story of a family and a country that buries its past in quiet until the present calls forth a reckoning. I love a good reckoning. I'm going to read this. I'm going to read this. Okay, so that's the guest book by Sarah Blake. Should I keep going? Yeah, if you want. You got, you got Norwegian books for us? I do. Well, I have one. Yeah. I'm going to... Saying this author's name is going to be an adventure for everyone. Okay, so the fir- my pick for Norwegian books is The Faster I Walk, The Smaller I Am by Kirsti Anastadar Skomsvold, hashtag nailed it, translated by Kiri A. Pierce. Okay, so... This is amazing. I love this book. It's really little. It's only like 150 pages. It's from Dalkey Archive Press, which is an amazing independent press that does, I think, exclusively books in translation. Um, but if not exclusively, then a lot of books in translation. And this is one of those books where like nothing happens and it is so good, <laughs> which is one of my favorite like subgenres of literary fiction. It's about an elderly woman, elderly woman named Mathia Martinson, um, who has suffered from social anxiety her whole life. So she's not made any real connections in her life and now she's gotten to the point where everyone she knows is dead uh because you know they've like died they've she's outlived everyone that she knows her husband there's some flashbacks to her relationship with her husband which are really cute sad i don't know like there's probably a word for that cute sad where her husband was a very logical mathematician who like tells her that he's having an affair by drawing her like venn diagrams and all these stuff uh, it's really funny and like just cute sad it's funny sad um and so at this point she decides you know in present day, that she's going to go out into Norway and make some connections and, like, try to overcome her social anxiety so that she can face her upcoming death with, like, some sense of satisfaction or having made a mark on the world and not feeling like she's completely invisible and, like, no one's going to remember her. So she does a series of, like, seemingly absurd kind of things that some of them don't work out, some of them do. Uh, Like, she buries a time capsule in her yard that, like, somebody eventually digs up to make room for a flagpole. She wears her husband's watch. Her husband is dead at this point. She wears his watch around and just kind of like hopes people are going to ask her what time it is so she can strike up a conversation about her husband. And it's just, and like no one ever does. Aww. I know. It's really heartbreaking, but also she like does the thing. Like the whole book is about her emotional labor of pushing past social anxiety in the time that she's got left in her life to feel like she has done what she like came here to do, whatever that might be, even if it's just to like have a connection with a cashier, you know? So it's really, really heartfelt, moving, very small, and very, I feel like, very Norwegian. She says, having never been to Norway, let's just make that clear. But in my imagination, it felt very much like what Norway would feel like to me. So that's The Faster I Walk, The Smaller I Am by Kirsti Anastatter Skomsvold. So much fun to say. Skomsvold. <laughs> very nice. Um, I picked one on spec. My library hold has not come in yet, but I'm super interested in it because it seems like it's sort of the Norwegian Madame Bovary, which I'm super here for. Um, I write, it's called The Reef. The, nope. It's called The Reef. It's the first in the Kristen Laverne's Daughter series, which is like very famous. Uh, it's got a Penguin Classics edition. That's how classic it is. But there's a new translation, Tina Nunnally. And this book was originally published in Norway in 1920. And it's set in 14th century Norway. Super interesting. I love historical fiction. And it's about a young woman who has an affair with a dangerously charming and impetuous man like here for it and uh, i i was as i was researching for this question everybody kept mentioning how immersive this book is in all of the you know social conventions and the political atmosphere and the day-to-day life and how even with all of it being so immersive in this historical time period, it also is very modern in its sensibilities. Um, you know, there's political and religious anxiety and it's a heroine who's trying to find her way and, you know, live her best life, even though society is perhaps telling her that she's not allowed to do that. And I just think it sounds fascinating. And a lot of people were really hyped about this new translation that's specifically like it's much more lyrical. It's much more readable. 
got huge praise in the reviews. So I am just super fascinated by this whole situation. And Sigurd Unset is acknowledged to be a classic Norwegian writer. So this seems like a super good place to start if it were me. Uh, so again, that's The Wreath, the first in the Kristen Laverne's Daughter series by Sigurd Unset. And the new translation is by Tina Nunnally. Okay, our next question is from Gabby, who says, I'm very afraid of flying and have a work trip coming up. I need for an 11-hour flight. Yikes. I need a book that will keep me hooked for hours but won't build up my anxiety. I have a few restrictions. I recently went through a traumatic event and anything including or mentioning shootings or terrorism will trigger my anxiety. I would also like to avoid anything involving a plane crash. Fair. Uh, I usually reach for thrillers when traveling, but I'm open to any genre. Some of my favorite books I read in the last couple years are This Is How It Always Is, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, Circe, Little Fires Everywhere, Flowers for Algernon, and all of Gillian Flynn's books. I'm just going to keep talking. I picked for you The Thirteenth Tale by Diane Setterfield, which comes with trigger warnings for incest and suicide, but they're pretty gauzy. It's not super graphic. Um... Because this whole book is really gauzy. If you're not familiar with Diane Sutterfield's work, like she does these sort of gothic, fably feeling books, even though they're set in the modern world. And this one is about, it's like a book inside of a book. It's about a reclusive author named Vita Winter, who is sort of famous for publishing a collection of stories called like the 13 tales, but it's only got 12 stories in it. And she's also spent 60 years telling lies about herself to the press. Like every time somebody interviews her, she tells a different story about her past and her family. And now she's dying. And she says she wants to tell the true story. And she has hand-selected a young woman who works in her father's used bookshop, uh, who also wrote a very obscure biography about uh, a pair of twins. And um, Vita Winter has selected this young woman, Margaret, to be her biographer. And Margaret is very curious about this. Like, she feels like there's no reason somebody as famous as Vita Winter should have any interest in her. And also, she's curious about the deliberate obfuscations that Vita Winter has put out there about her life. And so she goes and starts hearing the story of um, Vita Winter's family. But it's very strange, and maybe it's full of lies, and maybe it's not. And she has to sort of pick apart, like, what is actually going on here. And I I picked it because, you know, the books that you mentioned, like, there's a lot of, like, especially Little Fires Everywhere um, and Gillian Flynn, there's a lot of secrets and layers and people trying to find out, like, what if what they're being told is real or not. And I do think it's very immersive and engrossing and it's 400 pages so that should keep you busy for a while and it it is like it's not happy it's not a happy story but it's it because it does have this gauzy feel to it it's a little bit distanced so for me that usually helps when when things feel too real that's when i get anxious reading but if things have a little bit of distance then i feel okay so that might work for you as well so again that's the 13th tale by diane setterfield I just realized that that book has the same exact setup as The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. <gasps> Does it? Because I haven't read that one yet. Yeah, that like unknown writer gets called on by a wealthy elderly way lady to like tell her her story. That's the exact setup. Oh, well, it's such a good setup. Like mm-hmm. it's, it is. It it's totally certainly is. not the. Those are certainly not the only two. And I love that kind of like. Oh, yes, I'm going to listen to this charismatic older person tell me a story, but how much of it is true? <laughs> so much fun. Mm-hmm. All right. I picked a thriller for you. I picked My Sister, the Serial Killer by Oyinkan Braithwaite, which was shortlisted for the Women's Prize for Fiction this year. And I think it, it won the Tournament of Books, which was surprising, but like, I was happy with it. Okay. So this is a, it's, it's funny. It's like a weirdly funny thriller. It's not a murder mystery because you know who's doing it. And Karede is the main character and she's a nurse. Um, and her sister Ayula is a, is the serial killer in question. Her sister, the serial killer. And Karede has been, they have, the, they were abused as children and Karede has always taken care of Ayula. Ayula is like a very beautiful woman who kind of, she's like a complete sociopath, just like floats through the world, getting whatever she wants. Um, and Karede what's the word, enables all of that because of the things they experienced when they were children um, and, you know, family duty, all of that kind of stuff. And so what keeps happening is that Ayula dates these men 
and then ends up killing them, saying that it's in self-defense. She does this one time, and Coretti is, like, fine, like, helps her clean up the crime scene and dispose of the body and all this kind of stuff. Then it happens twice, and then it happens a third time, and Coretti is like, okay, (laughs) I see what's happening here. Like, obviously, she's not being abused by every single man that she meets and then having to, you know, murder them in self-defense. Like, everything about this is nonsense. But she doesn't, She like, maybe she should go to the police, you know. I, I, she's considering when the book opens, she's having this, like, really big moral dilemma. But then Ayula starts dating a doctor in the hospital where Karede works, who Karede is in love with. And so now she feels like, well, she's going to kill him. Like, what am I supposed to do about this? Do I betray my sister? Or do I, like, save this man who I love, who does not love me, who loves my sister, but do I save him anyway? And in doing so, you know, put my sister in jail for the rest of her life. And while this is all happening, she's telling this story out loud to a patient in the hospital who's in a coma, um, who wakes up <gasps> at one point. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, what does he remember about her, her talking to him? Because he's been in a coma for like years. Um, so obviously the assumption is he's never going to wake up, but then he does. And so she's got to deal with that. Um, and it's just brilliant. Like the book is, you know, on its surface, very much about the sister relationship and ha- what is Coretta going to do and what's going to happen to Ayula. But it's also very much about the things that women do to defend themselves against men. And just like societally, not just, you know, in the more obvious ways of when you're walking down the street and you feel threatened or any of that kind of stuff, but like just in our day-to-day lives operating as human beings in this world. Um, and it it's so brilliant. And it's actually pretty short. I think you would have time to listen to two audiobooks if you picked up this one, because I think it's six or seven hours. But such an interesting book. Such So that's My Sister, the Serial Killer by Oyinkin Braithwaite. Uh, next question is from Grace, who said, I recently made the transition from reading mostly YA to mostly adult fiction, and I'm still figuring out my reading taste. However, just this week, I started reading Middlesex by Jeffrey Eugenides, and it's ticking a lot of boxes. I'm really enjoying how the novel explores the journey of one family through various decades, countries, and historical events. I was hoping you'd be able to recommend more books, which also follow characters across many years as they live through turbulent historical and political times. Bonus points for non-American settings and LGBT themes if possible, and please list incest. <laughs> Fair. Less incest than Middlesex is really any, the absence of any incest. Uh, extra info, The Heart's Invisible Furies by John Boyne is already on my TBR, and I've listened to most of your previous episodes, so if you've mentioned a book a few times, I'm probably already aware. Okay, I'm going to keep going. I picked Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, which I have mentioned zero times this year. <laughs> I looked. I looked. I was like, I don't know. Have I talked about this already? Because I didn't want to get, you know, she specifically says that she's heard most of her episodes, and I have not talked about it at all <laughs> this year, so yay. So Pachinko, I think, is exactly what you're looking for. It's a multi-generational story. It starts in the early 1900s in Korea about a teenage girl named Sunya, who is um, this, like, very much wanted only child and daughter of a fisherman. She falls for a really wealthy stranger um, near her home when she's, like, out in the village one day, and they have an affair. She finds out that she's pregnant and then discovers that he's married. Um, he offers to, like, put her up as his mistress. And, you know, provide for her and all of that. And she refuses. Her, like, pride will not let her accept this um, offer. So instead, she accepts an offer of marriage from a man who's staying at her mother's boarding house. He's a minister. He's very, like, sweet and nice. And he totally understands what's happening. And he kind of just, like, wants to save her from her situation because that her family's been so good to him. He has tuberculosis. And they cared for him in some of his illnesses. Um, So they get married and move to Japan. And the book, as, like, a historical fiction you know, epic is about really the treatment of Korean families in Japan and how they're denied citizenship and treated you just terribly, like very marginalized, very discriminated against, still are. Um, And as you follow this family from the early 1900s up until modern day, you see how that discrimination and that um, marginalization has affected the Korean population in Japan and at home. Um, And so it go, you're like, you start with Sunya and her marriage to this man she doesn't love. And the the son that she has, and then the family just a few generations after that. So it's very like it's all wrapped up in World War Two um, and various like political and historical conflicts that, and struggles that come after that. And it's also very like it's got that big broad world sweep of you know entire population, the history of entire populations, and the history of this giant war that involves so many nations, but also like very small details of like this one woman's life day-to-day life and like how she made and sold kimchi on the streets to feed her kids and like very um specifics about each character 
that that, that put you in their shoes uh, um, really uh, richly, I guess is the the word I'm looking for. Minjin Lee is a, is is a brilliant writer, and she's so good at at writing somebody that you're going to want to empathize with, even if they are terrible. <laughs> and a lot of people in this book are terrible. Like she's just writing people, you know. And I've said this on the podcast before, but. People are sometimes terrible. People are, are a lot of the times terrible and also a lot of the times good. And she is really striking that balance really well. So that's Pachinko by Min Jin. One of these days I'm going to get to it. I've heard it. It's recommend. huge. Yes, well. <laughs> totally. Um, we have a post that's 100 must-read generational family novels on the site that I'm going to link for you. It's a couple years old, but there's some good stuff on there. And then I'm recommending No One Can Pronounce My Name by Rakesh Satyal because it has LGBT themes. It's got multi-generational story. It's a multi-generational story. And it's also got multiple perspectives, including uh, a young man who's just off to college. College. And what's what made me think of this book is that it actually feels like a coming of age book for some of the older characters as well. Um, the one of the primary characters, Harit, is uh, in his mid forties, and he has been living with his sister and his mother. And his sister has died. And it's a huge tragedy for them because she was really sort of the the linchpin of the family. She was sunny and outgoing and, you know, just made was sort of the life of the party. And now she's gone and his mother is sort of retreated and he just doesn't know what to do um, and is really struggling with trying to figure out who he is when he's not you know, just constantly in comparison to his sister. Um, and he sort of gets adopted, as it were, by a woman named Ranjana, who has sent her only child off to college, who I, we also get his perspective. Um, and she's worried that her husband is having an affair. And she's also part of a writing group and inspired in part by Twilight. She's like, she's dreaming of writing Indian American vampire fiction, which is amazing. And there are some other characters as well, but you start to dig into their different family situations and there are, there are queer themes and you do get, especially Harit's mother, uh, her story is just so sort of beautiful and heartbreaking. Um, and how, like how she became a mother and came to America is just really, it's so beautiful. And it's such a small part of the novel, but I remember it so clearly. And I loved this novel for so many reasons. The characters are all so three-dimensional. They're so complicated and complex, even though they could, their problems sound a little bit cardboard cutout in certain ways, but they are not at all. None of the characters are. You get also, Hart works at this uh, department store, sort of like a low-rent Sears kind of situation. And one of his coworkers is a very flamboyant white gay man who, you know, is trying to befriend him. And that's complicated for all kinds of reasons. But he's also a really interesting character. And, you know, Ranjana's husband, also very fascinating. Uh, so the, everybody is fully fleshed out and it feels like such a big cast and it's handled so well. And it starts off in this really sort of sad place. I mean, it starts with this death and then it moves to a really lovely place by the end without spoiling anything. I will just say that, like, when I closed the book, I was like, ah, like, I just was like, ah, it's such a beautiful feeling. Um, and there's so many different influences in there. Uh, and it does, it takes place outside of Cleveland. Cleveland, but like I said, you know, we're dealing with Indian American immigrant families, so you do get some of their story um, of immigration as well. And I think, I just think you'll like it for a lot of reasons. So again, that's No One Can Pronounce My Name by Rakesh Satyal. All right, our next question is from Hannah Grace, who says, I'm going on a vacation with the boyfriend this month, and I'm looking for some beach reads. I've recently loved authors like Jasmine Guillory, where I can breeze through the book, and that still includes strong female leads. But I'm wondering if there are books that will soothe my big relationship fear of being in a committed relationship when an intriguing new person swoops in to steal either me or my partner, having been the true soulmate all along. Are there any books where a character meets someone new but decides to stay with their significant other and is happier for it? Do those exist? What an interesting question. Amanda, what do you got for this? Okay, I'm coming at this a little bit sideways. I picked Forbidden by Beverly Jenkins, which is the first book in her Old West series. And the the subplot of um, the main character, Eddie. Edie? Eddie. I'm going to go with Eddie. 
Eddie the lady. <laughs> um, her being interested in another man who's not the hero is not like the focus of the book, but it's definitely a plot and it, it provides so much character development. I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. So in Forbidden, Ryan is the hero and he lives out West and he has built in this like little, you know, town and he has built himself a really large business he's got a what do you call it a saloon he owns a lot of real estate he's very powerful um he's involved in like local politics and he's also passing as white after the after the civil war ended he decided to go out west and pass as white so that he could you know make some money you know like have all the privileges of being white um and so he has made this choice with the full knowledge that like it means that kind of cut off from his community. Um, but he's using his position, his like newly developed position of privilege and wealth to help the black community, the local black community specifically in his town. I don't, I keep wanting to say village, but that's not right. It's a town. And then Eddie comes, maybe it's Edie. I'm going to say Edie. I, I don't know why this is bothering me so much. Edie comes to town. Um, she is trying to make her way out West to like make her own, not fortune, but like find a job and, you know, make it her own life. And she gets conned. She gets conned by someone posing as a priest who, like, promises he's going to take her across the desert to the town that she needs to get to. But he he robs her instead and, like, leaves her in the desert to die. And Ryan rescues her. And they, um, you know, there's a spark or whatever, but she's black and he is passing as white and has not told anyone that he is not white. Um, so that's a really complicated relationship to have. And she decides she's not going to have it. Like, she's just not... It's not worth it. She's just going to save money while she's in town working as a cook. And then she's going to move along to go, you know, follow her dreams of owning a restaurant. But the more that they fall for each other, the more she starts to consider, like, well, what if I had this relationship? Like, what would that life look like? How would we even do it? Like, we couldn't get married. What, you know? And then he, of course, is thinking, should I just stop pretending to be white so that I can be with this woman who I love? So all of that's happening, right? That's the backdrop. And then this, like, very nice, stable, employed, thoughtful man from the local Black community meets Edie and decides that he's going to pursue her. So she's got these – her and Ryan are not in a committed relationship because of all of the aforementioned complications, but they obviously want to be together. And every time they, like, meet in back alleyways, as you do in romance novels, because nobody takes the street like a normal person. <laughs> As they meet in these back alleyways, there's all these, like, declarations and, you know, conversations and, like, more than conversations and all of that. But then this, like, stable, sweet, thoughtful man presents himself to her and she has to decide, like, is this complicated, tempestuous, probably impossible relationship even worth considering when I have this really thoughtful and impressive specimen <laughs> of a human who, like, likes me? to date and so she has to really pick between the two and since it's a romance novel and Ryan's the hero I'm sure you can figure out what happens and like who she ultimately chooses she like goes with her heart but the injection of this of the option of stability in the form of this other man was really interesting in that book and I, I like that. so that's Forbidden by Beverly Jenkins nice I love Beverly Jenkins I have to read that one so I have a weird little side note here <laughs> and I'm gonna date myself but <laughs> I grew up watching Dharma and Greg and I will never forget this one episode. It was the first thing I thought of when I saw this question, because this is a very relatable question. And I remember how, what a big impact this episode made on me. There's this episode where Dharma, which like, if you don't know the premise of Dharma and Greg, Dharma is like this hippie, free spirit woman. And Greg is like a lawyer, very buttoned up from a very buttoned up family. And they like meet each other and within the course of 36 hours, like go on a billion dates and like get married, uh, which is very, you know, out of character for Greg, but not so much for Dharma. And then it's about them making their relationship work. And there's this one episode where Dharma is convinced that she needs to find a date for Greg's coworker, who's this very like buttoned up, very intelligent lawyer woman. And they're very close and they're, you know, working together all the time. And she's like, oh, she's jealous. And so she needs to find this woman a date so that she can feel better about it. And so she spends all this time trying to find this woman a date. And in the course of it, they're at this bar. She meets this bartender whose name is Siddhartha and whose parents are basically, he, he has the same story as her. Like, you know, they, he grew up wild and hippie free and like is a creative person and has like this kind of you know off kilter job and isn't the same and at the end of the episode greg comes up to dharma and says did you find any soulmates and she says yes but i'm going home with the man i love and it's like so cheesy but i was just like oh like this idea that like 
even if you found somebody who seems to be your perfect match, like they might not be actually like you might still want to be with the person you're already with. Um, and that feeling is in Waiting in the Wings by Tara Frejas, which is what I'm recommending. Uh, and this was recommended by a bunch of the contributors as well. And I'm so glad they pointed me at it because it was so much fun. It's like a little bit slings and arrows because it takes place in a theater company in Manila. Um, the main character, Erin, is 23 and has been like the leading lady and so has performed a lot of love stories but has never actually had a relationship off stage and she's really tired of it and sort of feeling really down her best friend is engaged like she's just like am i ever gonna meet somebody and so she decides to take a break from being a leading lady because she wants a real relationship she doesn't want any more of these fake ones she wants a real relationship and then a very handsome and attractive actor comes to be part of the new production that the theater company is doing and basically says like i'm here because i'm so impressed with your acting like i want to date you also which is very flattering and exciting for her and then at the same time somebody who she knew in college has returned and is going to be the choreographer for the theater company so she's got this like old friend who they never had a thing but he's you know was secretly pining for her and didn't do anything about it and then there's this like leading man and what i loved about this book is that it's a love triangle where there's nothing wrong with either of the triangle ends. Like, there's nothing bad about either of these options. It's just that one works and one doesn't. And it's it's not about how it appears. It's not about, like, you know, what should or should not work out. Like, it's about what you feel and who you are actually connecting to on that level. And I think that's a really lovely thing to see because so many times with like love triangles it's like well this one you know is secretly bad he kills puppies in his spare time and you don't know until you know he's already charmed the pants off of everybody like no it's just like these are these are people who sometimes you connect with them and sometimes you don't and sometimes on paper it looks like it should work and it doesn't so i think that's very comforting so again that's waiting in the wings by tara frejas Okay, still me. Uh, boy, I'm just talking to the storm <laughs> over here. <laughs> Our next sponsor is Audible. This is a very audiobook episode. We actually have an audiobook question coming up, too. So, audiobooks are us. So, I think we all know that listening makes us smarter and more connected. And with Audible, you can listen to so many things. Audible members now get more than ever before. You can choose three titles every month. One audiobook plus two Audible originals that you can't hear anywhere else. Uh, you also have unlimited access to a very large selection, including audio-guided fitness and meditation programs, which we've, we talk, we actually get a fair number of questions about mindfulness and anxiety. So that's very useful. Um, they have bestsellers, business, self-improvement, memoirs, all professionally narrated by actors, authors, and motivational superstars. And you can get free access to the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, lots and lots of options there. And I know from the questions that y'all are always looking for good audiobooks <laughs> to listen to. And we've recommended quite a few. We do have that data. <laughs> we do have that data. It's true. And I know we've talked a lot about audiobooks that are really good to listen to, specifically because of who's saying them. So like Shonda Rhimes, Year of Yes is a favorite. Um, you've heard us talk about all kinds of ones. And we have more to talk about in this show later. So you already know that audiobooks are great, unsurprisingly. And, oh, you can start listening with a 30-day Audible trial, and your first audiobook plus two Audible originals are free. So visit audible.com slash booked, B-O-O-K-E-D, or, this is fancy, you can now text booked to 500-500. That's audible.com slash booked, or text booked to 500-500. Thanks so much for sponsoring the show. Text magic. I know, texting, fancy, so fancy. Okay, our next question is anonymous and says, I'm reading War for the Oaks based on a rec from Jen for another request. Huzzah! Sorry. <laughs> Enjoying it immensely. Oh yeah. I wish I'd had it earlier last year when I sunk into a comfortable mode of fae in the modern day with Stiefvetter's Ballad, Dean's Tam Lynn, and Wynne Jones's Fire and Hemlock. Do you have any recs for books with this sort of theme and tone? 
Uh, not so much a fan of Terry Windling, Holly Black, and Charles DeLint. Love Robin McKinley and Helen Oyeyemi. Play something without explicit sexual or violent content. So I picked The Hum and the Shiver by Alex Bledsoe, which is the first book in the Tufa series, my favorite series about modern day fae. Um, it takes place in East Tennessee, and the Tufa in this uh, series are fairies. Like, it's it's not a spoiler. You can tell from the cover, so whatever. And they were there, you know, in the Smoky Mountains in East Tennessee when, before the Europeans arrived, before even the indigenous people arrived. So Laura only knows how long they've been living in, in those mountains. Their origins are pretty lost to history, but they have these um, songs that they have like hints about who they actually are in them. They are, you know, mountain folk. Like they're all, they all have a lot, they have a lot of physical stuff in common. They're all dark haired. They're suspicious of outsiders. They don't often leave Tennessee or even their, the, like the valley where they all um, have settled. And so among this group is a woman named Bronwyn, Private Bronwyn Hyatt. She is a soldier um, who fought in the Iraq war. She was wounded and has come home very broken in both, spirit, mind, and body, to recover. And she's not looking forward to it. Like, she left for a very specific reason. She's got ex-boyfriend problems, don't we all? She has all these obligations to her, her her family and to the Tufa, to her community, that she just is not, not ready to handle. And as she settles into her home and starts to recover more and more, you start to realize what those obligations are and just how, like, magical this part of Tennessee is and this community of people. Um, a lot of the story is told from the point of view of a traveling minister who has come to plant a church in um, this town where he is not welcome, as he slowly learns, or actually very quickly learns, that he's not welcome. And historically, no preachers are welcome. And like, in fact, there are no churches in the city lines because the Tufa are so like aggressively against Christianity or any means of uh, organized religion. But he like works his way by not being pushy into befriending a few of them. And it's kind of through his perspective of discovering more and more about the community and about the people and about Bronwyn that you as the reader learn more and more about all. So... I, there's so much that I love about this. I love that, you know, it is very magical. It is about the fae. They are, and it's the fae, like, not cutesy, like, dangerous, ancient, magical being. And But it's set in this, it's like, it's Appalachia, basically, and which is a setting that, you know, is not represented enough in fiction, in my opinion. And for it to have this really magical story placed there, I, I just, I really like it. So it's The Hum and the Shiver by Alex Blood. I'm so glad you're enjoying War for the Oaks. That makes me so happy. Um, I have a new one I just read, recently published, that I think is in that same family, especially when you mention Helen Oyeyemi. It's Unraveling by Karen Lord. And this does come with mentions of violence and harm to children, but there's nothing too explicit. It's all a little bit uh metaphorical i guess is the word i want like you don't see the actual acts happening and there's no explicit blood and gore so you know that things are happening but it's not on the page specifically and this is amazing so i've talked about karen lord before she uh, writes these like fantastic caribbean influenced uh fable books as well as some really interesting science fiction and this is more on the fable side but it's also a thriller it's about a series of murders that take place in the city, capital C. And our main character, Miranda, is a forensic therapist who has just finished up a court case and has put a serial killer behind bars. And there have been seven murders, and they were really weird and disturbing, and she's still kind of processing them. But, you know, her job is done. Like, the serial killer has been arrested and is going to prison, and theoretically, that's it. Except that's not it. Uh, she has a near-death experience where that puts her into this strange, like, altered mental state where she meets two supernatural brothers named Chance and the Trickster who have sort of been assigned to find out the real motives and the person pulling the strings behind these murders. It's apparently not just the serial killer acting alone. And the person who might have been guiding this might also be supernatural. So there's a lot going on here. <laughs> and the whole book takes place in this sort of mental realm where they are sort of pulling through Miranda's memories and she's like agreeing to help them because she's a forensic therapist, like solving these things is her calling as well as her job. 
but it's not easy. And it also involves her sort of putting herself through like almost like a simulation of her life moving forward in order to track down the person behind these killings. It's really, it's really weird. And it's so interesting. It's so unlike pretty much anything else I've read. And Karen Lord is also weaving this in the backdrop, uh, weaving this story about disenfranchisement. Um, most of the, or really all of the victims were disenfranchised members of the city. If you're a Freeman, capital F, like you have rights and can work and have housing and all of this stuff. And if you're not, you have very limited opportunities and resources. And most of the victims were part of that population. And she has, you know, is very familiar with the injustice of this, but doesn't necessarily feel like, like she's already doing what she can do. Um, and so you're seeing her sort of grapple with that as well. And it, it seems like it's going nowhere. And then it all comes together really beautifully at the end. And I loved Chance and Trickster. And there's a little bit of a callback to Redemption and Indigo. But if you haven't read that, you don't need to. But if you have, which you should, <laughs> it's a really lovely little callback. It made me so happy. Um, and yeah, it's just like, it's just sort of a punky, mythy, Caribbean, half-world murder mystery, which is so interesting. It's just so interesting. And it definitely falls, I think, into that, like, supernatural creatures interacting with a modern world thing that you love, that I also love. So, again, that's Unraveling by Karen Lord. And the next question is from Julie, who says, My 10-year-old son, 13-year-old daughter, and I listen to audiobooks every day on the drive to and from school, but it's become increasingly difficult to find books that all of us like. His genre is Mischievous Boys Make Trouble. Hers is middle grade or YA fantasy. Mine is literary fiction. I need well-written and well-narrated. He wants funny, exciting, but not scary. She's the most flexible. Past successes are, and there's a big long list here, including Mrs. Basil E. Frankenweiler, Mysterious Benedict Society, Better Name than ever, The Wednesday Wars, etc. Weirdly, none of them like Narnia, His Dark Materials, or Artemis Fowl. Daily drives without a good book are not fun around here. Help, please. Amanda, what you got? Alrighty. Um, I picked Alana, the first book in the Song of the Lioness series by Tamora Pierce, um, which is not about a mischievous boy making trouble, but it is about a girl pretending to be a mischievous boy making trouble, <laughs> which is pretty close. Also, it's a fantasy novel, so I think it hits a lot of everybody's, you know, everyone involves uh, taste. Um, so this is kind of a classic of middle grade, middle grade, YA, whatever, young person um, fantasy. Um, yeah, it's like a classic. It's about a girl named Alana of Trebond, who is, uh, as a girl, like just wants to do the things that only boys are allowed to do. She wants to, you know, be outside and have adventures. She doesn't want to be inside learning how to, like, be a lady. Um, and her her twin brother, Tom, also, ha like, chafes against the expectations that are on him. He just wants to learn how to do magic. He doesn't want to go on adventures or learn how to be a knight or fight or any of that. He wants to be a magician. And so they're both supposed to go off. Um, Alana's supposed to go to a convent. And Tom is supposed to go off to uh, the, the king's castle to, like, learn how to be a page. And they switch places. So Tom secretly sneaks off to the convent to learn how to practice magic, and Alana, dressed as a boy, goes off to the castle of the king to start training as a page. And so you stick with her, you stay with Alana for the whole book, um, as she undergoes this training. And she faces, you know, like, all of these obstacles. She she has She's smaller, first of all, than all of the other boys, and remains smaller the older that she gets. Um, which is tough when your job, when, like, your entire existence is based on physical combat <laughs> and also labor um, because her training as a page is you know schooling it's education she also has to like help clean horse stalls and like learn how to fight with a sword that's as tall as her um, and all of that she has to hide who she actually is from everyone including all of her friends she starts to become really close with other boys who are in her class and also with the prince um, and that whole time has to pretend, you know, and like keep up the pretense, which gets hard. You know, like boys like to do stuff like, as I know, being a mother of two, like strip naked and run into creeks. And she has to make up reasons why she cannot strip naked and run into creeks. Like every day is a new thing that, that like a new complication or obstacle that she has to overcome in her like quest to continue pretending to be a boy. Because if they find out that she's a girl, then of course she can't have this life that she really wants. Ultimately, she wants to end up as a knight. 
Um, and so there's like, there's a lot of sorcery, there's a lot of intrigue, there's, she gets involved in some real political drama, like high stakes political drama, and, um, all the while trying to maintain like her studies and be not at the bottom of her class for every physical thing. She gets really, really good at hiding who she is and really, really good at, you know, using a sword that's as tall as she is. Um, it's just super fun. And Alana is such a good character. Like she is the most no-nonsense, like, brokers, no fools, does not like pretty much anyone. And she's just, like, tough and scrappy. She's so good. I love her. And, there, you know, it's the first in the series, so if, if, if this one um, is a win with your kids, then you can listen to several more. And Tomorrow Peace has written not just the series, but, like, tons of books, so. There's, like, a 12. Yeah, lots out there for you. <laughs> so that's Alana, The First Adventure by Tomorrow Pierce. I picked The True Meaning of Smek Day by Adam Rex, which is one of my all-time favorite middle-grade novels that I read as an adult, so I feel confident in telling you that you as a grown-up will enjoy it, and I think your kids will get a kick out of it, both of them. Um, it's like more science fiction than fantasy, and it's about a little girl named, well, she's 12, a little girl named Tip who has, goes on an adventure with an alien who definitely makes trouble. <laughs> and the plot of this book is that aliens uh, have invaded, the Bouve have invaded Earth and put all of the humans on like a, in a reservation in Florida. And they somehow missed Tip. And her mom is there and she knows this and she's really worried because her mom is flaky and she's sort of used to being in charge a little bit and so she's very concerned about her mom so she has to get from i think she starts off in new york she has to get from new york to florida as a 12 year old like how is this going to happen and she meets this other alien uh other alien she meets this alien named j-lo who is off on his own adventure for his own reasons and there's a cat and there's a hover car and i mean it's just so much fun and it's written as like a school report she's writing this essay which is where the title comes from. And there's little drawings and little asides in the physical book. So I, I would say like definitely grab a copy of that so you can look at it. But the audiobook is narrated by Bonnie Turpin, who I want to say like all of our most audiobook loving contributors are obsessed with. Uh, so good audiobook for sure. And yeah, it's just really fun. It's an adventure. It's well-written. The characters are great. It's just super enjoyable. So again, that is The True Meaning of Smek Day by Adam Rex. Oh, and they made a movie. Uh, they made a movie called Home out of this. So if your kids loved it, I definitely recommend the movie. It's super fun. Rihanna voices Tip and it's really enjoyable. It's, it's good. It's good. <laughs> All right. Our last question is from Autumn, who says, I'm a Christian, and I'm also an immigrant-loving feminist. Since the 2016 election, I found myself increasingly distanced from the evangelical community because I just can't stomach their continued support of evil men and hateful policies. Sometimes I think I'm ready to give up on the church, but I'm not ready to give up on God. I guess I just feel alone. And since I always take comfort in reading, I'm looking for books by or about someone who loves Jesus and also hangs out with gays and Muslims and, so and shows up to all the women's marches. I've recently read everything by Rachel Held Evans, and I'm heartbroken over her death. Please tell me there's someone out there like her. Um, there are. There are lots. Um, okay, so I am going to recommend to you Godland by Liz Lenz, which does not come out until August 1st, but it's so great that I'm picking it anyway, which I never do. So pre-order it. <laughs> the uh, subtitle is A Story of Faith, Loss, and Renewal in Middle America. Liz is a writer. She's a mother of two. She was married for the election and lived in Iowa in the Midwest, um, and was a regular churchgoer. And then after the election, she ended up leaving her church, leaving her husband, who was a Trump supporter, and became increasingly more right-wing fringe extremist as, you know, time went on. So she gets divorced, she leaves her church, and then she goes on this kind of, like, pilgrimage through middle America, through the Midwest, to small towns, and to bigger cities in the Midwest to kind of like investigate what's happening. Like how did middle America and people who claim to be Christian support so enthusiastically and so overwhelmingly somebody who is obviously not and who does not in any way represent the values of the church or, you know, that, that are espoused by the Bible. So she goes on this like road trip. And so it's partly investigative into, she visits a lot of really tiny little rural churches and a couple like big, bigger like mega churches. 
uh, in the Midwest and part memoir of like what it was like to realize that your church doesn't value you because you're a woman and won't listen or to or let you speak because you're a woman. Like there's this point where something bad happens, like somebody's really rude to her, doesn't let her lead a prayer when they're like on a missions trip. So she comes back and talks to her pastor about it with her husband there. And he says something to the effect of like, oh, that guy is fine. And then her husband is like, he's not. Like he said, he's. we know that people have complained about him to you. And then the pastor says, you're right. I lied. Sorry. Um, and Liz says, you should apologize to me because I'm the one you lied to. And the pastor says, by apologizing to your husband, I have apologized to you. And then, yeah. And then that's the moment that she, and this was like a big church in the Midwest. And that's kind of the moment she realizes like the church is no longer the place for me, but she still goes to church. Like she found a church led by a woman that is very inclusive and it's it what, Lutheran. I think it's Lutheran um, that she is going to now in Iowa. So I think that you'll find a lot here to relate to. Um, and Liz is very much a woman's marcher. Like she, there's, parts of the book where she talks about showing up to these churches with like her blue hair and her nasty women t-shirts and the reactions that she gets a lot of the time from those people. And it really, I think what's most interesting about this book is how she's nailing that kind of dichotomy with evangelicals where like she knows that if she had a flat tire or needed money or clothes, any of these people would help her. But at the same time, if she were brown, none of these people would help her, you know? Um, So it's, it's just, it's very almost healing, I think, to read at this point, because I had an identical experience to you after the election where I left my church and have not gone back and will not go back. And I, it's, it's like a struggle, you know, and for Liz is writing that story, like the story, I think of so many women who realize that the evangelical community supporting a man like Trump means that they don't want us, don't want women. Um, So yeah, this is a book for you. You should go get it, pre-order it. So that's Godland by Liz Lenz. I am recommending Accidental Saints by Nadia Boltz Weber, which Amanda actually recommended to me. I love it. And it sounds amazing. <laughs> I haven't read it yet, but the the author is a former stand-up comedian, so that's already awesome. And a very like profane type of pastor. She's got tattoos and is angry and, you know, not like your classic cardboard cutout of a pastor. Uh, And the thing that she is struggling with is that the people who show up are the people she doesn't necessarily want to serve. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag relatable. (laughs) Hashtag relatable. So this is all about dealing with people who have different beliefs who don't look like the kind of people that you want to be dealing with um, in any way. And like what happens when you sort of embrace that struggle and like tell the truth about what you're going through and see what comes of it. And that sounds very interesting. And yes, very hashtag relatable to me. Um, I'm all about an iconoclastic look at the church, having grown up in one and then left it. So yeah, super interesting. Sounds cool. Uh, Again, that's Accidental Saints, Finding God in All the Wrong People by Nadia Boltz Weber. And that's our show. Thank you so much for listening to both our book recommendations and our random asides and rants. Uh, if you are so inclined, you can leave a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts, and we would super appreciate it. It helps other folks to find the show, and we do love to see the feedback. Thank you to today's sponsors for helping make the show possible. You can find us also on social media. Amanda, where are you at? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And you can find me on Twitter as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, IRL, and on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.